Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. We want to welcome those online. Thanks for joining us today. How is everyone this morning? My name is Nathan. I haven't met you. I had an awesome message ready to go for Easter Sunday for you. Super excited to bring the word. And then um, about 10, 8 o'clock Saturday night, my youngest daughter, Blut, and then at 10 o'clock, Blut, and then Joel, Blut, and then Aiden, Blut, and Michelle, Blut, all together. So we have this tummy bug over Easter Sunday. I hope you had a great time Easter Sunday. Sorry, I missed it. I thought about coming and sharing it with you all, but then I thought better, better not to come. Hey, better not to come. Before I bring you the word today, I just want to um, encourage you in, in your giving. We don't talk a heap about finance at the LifeGate Church. At the end of our life this week, um, little presentation, we, we just remind people to give. But it's also good for us just to remind ourselves every now and again around, how are you going with your giving? That's the question for you today. How are you going with your giving? You know, it says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and this is, a, this is a great scripture around giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me just find it for you. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7 is a bit I want to point out. It says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So one of the reasons we don't talk a lot about money at LifeGate Church is because we don't want to pressure people. So please don't feel pressured. Please don't feel pressured to give. The other thing is, we don't want you to give reluctantly either. Oh, do I have to give? I suppose I better. Well, that sucks as well. Yeah, don't do that. But the scripture says here that God loves a cheerful giver. So our attitude in giving should be, you know what, God, this is an opportunity for me to sow into your kingdom, to see your word, your truth move forward, to see your kingdom come. The bit before that, it says, for each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. So my question is, what have you decided in your heart to give? Have you even considered giving? And I, and I think many of us make decisions around what we're going to give at a certain time of the year, maybe at the beginning of the year or at the end of the financial year or whatever. And then somewhere along the way, what we've decided in our heart can easily slip. We can often forget to, oh, I forgot to do this week, I forgot to do it, and then it just, we just get out of the habit of giving. So let me encourage you today... Yeah, it, as you give, whether you give in the box, whether online you give through the Tively app, whether you give directly into our bank account and all the details are on our website, let me encourage you, don't give it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion, but rather do it with a heart to honor the Lord cheerfully. And ask God what he wants you to give and be obedient to that. You know, God asks people to give different amounts. Um, for us as a family, we choose to tithe. We give 10% of our giving to LifeGate Church. And then above that, we give to May Mission Month, and we're about to talk about that, ne- that next month. And we're going to raise 38, well, hopefully raise $38,000. Last year, we raised thirty-six. This year, we're going for $38,000. And we're going to bless the mission partners, and you'll find out about that throughout the, throughout the month of May. So we as a family, we tithe, and then we, we give over and above to transform Cambodia and, and the other things that we do. And that's what we do. And that's not for everybody. That's what we do. Let me ask you to go to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do? As in you. What do you want me to do? Seek what it, one more time. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The next scripture, the next verse says this And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, 
at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So as you give, the scripture says, God will look after you. As you give, as he leads, God will look after you. He will, he will provide for you. Not just in the area of finance, but every area of our lives. There's your encouragement. Can I encourage you around your giving today? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the word. Father, we thank you for finance. We thank you that you give it to us, and we pray that we will be faithful to you in what you've given us. Lord, you've, you, your scripture says that we're not to give reluctantly or because we have to, but our attitude will be one of cheerfulness. This is an opportunity to, to, see, your kingdom come, to see your kingdom come, God, to honor you with my finance. Father, I pray that we will be um, in prayer around our giving and that we will go, God, what do you want us to do? And then we'll be deliberate in doing that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And as we come to your word now, the next passage from 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you remind me of what I prepared. God, give us ears, hearts open to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, today, living in the year 2022 in Australia, it can be a really confusing, confusing time. A time when what we thought as normal has been turned on its head in many areas. Growing up, marriage was always between a man and a woman. And then a couple of years ago, we've changed our definition of marriage to be two people. And I go, what the? Confusing. Now, if you're a man or, or, or you're a woman, you get to choose what you want to be in our society today. You can choose to identify as this or this, and that can be super confusing. We're in a society today where you can be looked down on for having traditional Christian values of sexuality and sex and even marriage. We're in a time when same-sex couples can have children. We're in a time where pornography is now normalized. And what is right, what is true, is all based on what the individual says is true. Now, let's go back 25 or 30 years. We'd be thinking, if that was happening in 2022, we'd be thinking, Australia would never, ever, ever, would we? But that's, that's where we're at. And it can be really confusing for people today to work out, so what do I believe? What is right? How do I navigate all that society is trying to tell me, teach me what is true? And if you're feeling that way today, well, I've got something I want to share with you, which, which is really beautiful. Today we're going to talk about this, not just this one. Look, this is my Bible, everyone, and it's trashed. And you know what? That's a really good thing because it means I've been reading it, yeah? This is my favorite Bible. I, have, I, uh, I uh, no longer have Exodus 1 through 10. That's gone. <laughs> I don't know what happened to that. I uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. That doesn't exist either. I don't know where that is either. But this is a, this, I, just really, I just really like this Bible. And then I've bought new ones, and then I've come back to this one because I just really like it. I don't know. People have a Bible you like. This is the one I like. You know, when we come to this book, this is God's words to us. This is his message to humanity. God's word also shows us who we are. As we read it, we find out about ourselves. As we read it, we find out what the creator, the designer, the one who set this up, the one who made this, the one who designed it. As we read it, we find out what he thinks is right. He tells us what is evil. He tells us what is good. And as we're going through life, this 
can help navigate our lives to what is true and what is not, what is good and what is evil. This tells us what is God's plan for the world. Now, unlike other books or movies or social media, this is true because it's God's word to us. As the designer, as the creator, as the authority, he has authority to say what is right and wrong because he made it. It's his. This belongs to him. The other thing about this book is that it's alive. The scripture says it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And this book, as you read it, and you must, you must, you must invite the Holy Spirit to help you understand this book. And as you read it with the Spirit, the words become alive. It becomes revelation to you, and it transforms your thinking, your attitudes, your behaviors, what is right, what is wrong. This book, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can radically change your life. So today, we're going to talk about this book. We're going to do it in two ways. The first way we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the next bit. We're going to look at two verses, and then I'm going to show you the Alpha video on the Bible, what is and how to read the Bible. It's an incredible video. I've watched it 20 times. I want to share it with you. It is brilliant. So I'm going to speak for another couple of minutes, and then we're going to head to the video. Let's um, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is like the fifth or sixth message I've done through 1 Thessalonians. And as I've worked through it, when we hit chapter 2, people, this is the Apostle Paul, planted the church in Thessalonica. He leaves. He writes a letter back to that church. They're brand new Christians. And as he leaves, people are questioning his motives. And in chapter 2, the beginning, Paul says, my motives are only to please God. And then we looked at what does it look like to be a Christian leader. And Paul talked about what it is, how he um, treated the people that he was leading. And then we read this from verse 13 and 14. And the point that Paul is trying to make is that the word of God, which is God's word, his truth, transforms our lives. That's his point. Here we go. Two verses. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is, in, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. That's it for today. Two things I want to bring to you from this text. The first thing is around Paul's authority to preach. He says, We thank God continually because when we went and preached to you, you received the message as the word of God. Now, this is a really big deal. If you're a Jew at the time, you believed that Moses heard from God and David heard from God and the other prophets heard from God. But who's this guy, Paul, who's speaking? And the Jews even had a problem with Jesus, let alone Paul. And Paul says here that, as I spoke to you, my words carried the same authority as the words of Moses. Because it says, which you heard from us, which you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, as the word of God, which is a deed and work within you. So when Paul speaks, he's saying, what I'm saying to you has the same authority as Moses did, or King David did, or one of those people in the Old Testament. Why could he say that? Because when we read Acts chapter 26, we see that when, when, when Paul talks about his conversion experience back in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 26, we're told that Paul is sent with the authority of Jesus to go and be an apostle. So when Paul speaks, 
He speaks with the authority of Jesus because Jesus sent him, appeared to him, told him what to say, and sent him. So that is why Paul's words are authoritative, because he's been given Jesus' authority as he preaches. That's the first thing. The second thing we see in this text is around the transformation or the change that happens. Last line, the word of God, which is indeed at work within you who believe. And then he goes on, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church, God's churches in Judea, which are in you. See, when you hear the word of God with the work of the Spirit, this word changes you, like I said before. It changes the way you think. It reveals your heart. It shows you your error. It shows you the ways where you're out of alignment with how God wants you to live, and it brings you back into coming under his, his leadership, coming under his authority. This can transform your life. Check out the video. This will be a blessing to you. We are living in a time when we are better connected than ever before. And as soon as something happens anywhere in the world, we know about it straight away. But with so much information at our fingertips, it can be hard to sift out the really important from the superficial. For many people, the Bible seems a bit outdated, boring, or just plain hard to understand. What can the Bible possibly say to us in the 21st century? Have I ever read the Bible? No. Yes. I read parts of the Bible. Oh, yeah, I read the whole thing. As a kid, I did. I used to have like our own like special ones. We used to have like the child Bibles with like the Jesus and like the kids and sit under a tree and stuff like that. Like in elementary school, we read it. Yeah. I've skimmed it. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the other guys. <laughs> I know the one about that guy in his colourful clothes. Um... Do I think the Bible is relevant? I think uh, parts of it are definitely relevant, but a lot of it might be a little bit out of date. I honestly don't remember anything from the Bible. I think the lessons that it teaches are relevant, yeah. It's relevant today, for, maybe for some people, but not me. I think the Bible is inspirational and kind of frustrating at times. In the 18th century, the French philosopher Voltaire predicted that the Bible would become a museum piece within a hundred years of his lifetime and replaced by more advanced philosophies. But today, the Bible remains the most popular book in the world, the most successful literary creation of all time. Each year, over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away. The YouVersion Bible app has been downloaded over 200 million times. The Bible is the best-selling book of the year, every year. In fact, it's so popular that it's excluded from weekly bestseller lists. The Bible would be the top seller every single week, week in, week out. Many people would say that the Bible is the most popular book of all time because it's also the most powerful. It has the power to change individuals and to change societies. On her coronation day, the Queen of England was handed a Bible with the words... We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. The Bible is incredibly precious. The writer of the Psalms describes the Bible as being more precious than gold. In fact, it's so precious that some have even risked their lives to share it with others.
It was in um, March 2009. One day early in the morning, Marzi received a phone call from a stranger. He had some question about the car document and asked her to go to the police station. And we didn't know why and what, what was going to happen. Um, but we just prayed together and she left. She went to the police station and I was waiting for Marzia to return from the security police. Suddenly I heard the sound of her with a few others behind the door. Well, I saw her standing there with um, three guards. And I was so shocked when they ransacked everywhere and they took both of us with all our belongings, like Bibles, Jesus movies, into the security police. We had long hours of interrogation. I, I believe it was in the first day that he threatened us to physical torture. In that dark cell in the basement, we just hugged each other. We said goodbye because we thought it was our last day on earth and um, we were so scared. I remember the only thing that we could do um, in that dark cell in those moments was just praying for each other. Uh, we met each other for the first time. It was 2005. And after finishing our theology courses, uh, we both felt that we had the same passion about our country to return to our country and to share this message with our people. That's why even though we knew that how much is dangerous, we decided to go. And we uh, called our pastor. He was in uh, London, and we asked him to send uh, thousands of uh, Bibles. And uh, it wasn't easy for them. And we received uh, those New Testaments, and we started our first mission and usually at night we carried about 140 New Testaments in our uh, backpack and put them in the uh, mailboxes. I remember sometimes it was uh, during the winter we had to walk for long hours, for about eight, nine hours. And after almost three years, uh, we could distribute uh, 20,000 uh, New Testaments. There are some stories, amazing stories, that how God protected us and we could see his miracles. We were distributing Bibles, we were talking to people, and we were having these two house churches in our own apartment. And we knew that it was risky. We spent almost nine months in prison and 14 days we were separated. We were um, staying in solitary confinement. And I can say uh, during those nine months, we had almost about 10 trials, 10 courts. And in each court, the judges our, and our interrogators would threaten us to execution by hanging. And they, they wanted to put pressure on us to deny our faith in Jesus. We didn't have Bible with us, but uh, we learned how to live with the verses uh, of Bible. And every day we were praying and uh, asking God to give us uh, this power to live uh, those verses and to show him through, those, uh, through our behaviors to prisoners. It was um, almost... Uh, uh, at the nine months that uh, uh, we heard that uh, we have we had many supports from different uh, parts of the world, and because of all these uh, supports, the the government had to release us, unlike their desires. And you know, Marzi mentioned about those Bibles that we were distributing. At that time, we were just praying for those Bibles. We didn't we didn't know who would get those Bibles, and. I remember uh, it was two years ago, we were in Australia and we were invited to a church. After our speech, um, a couple came up uh, on the stage and they were, uh, both of them, they were crying and they started to share their stories. They said that um, the wife found one of those Bibles that we put in, the, in their mailboxes and they found the Bible and the whole family came to Christ just by reading that um, New Testament that we put in their mailboxes. The Bible is inspired by God. The Apostle Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God. The word he uses there, literal translation of the Greek word, is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. 
Why do I believe that the Bible is inspired by God? Well, to put it simply, and this is an oversimplification, it claims to be, it seems to be, and it proves to be. It claims to be, that this is an example, Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God. It seems to be, when you read it, it has the ring of truth, and it proves to be. I found that in my life, as I've put it into practice, as I've read it, it, I've sensed God speaking to me through it. And I'd encourage you to do the same. Try it out, and you'll find it proves to be the word of God. Pope Francis, in his letter, Evangelii Gaudium, The Joy of the Gospel, encourages everyone to study the Bible for themselves. He says, we do not blindly seek God or wait for him to speak to us first, for God has already spoken. And there is nothing further we need to know which has not been revealed to us. Let us receive the sublime treasure of the revealed word. Over a period of 1,600 years, the Bible was written by at least 40 authors. Kings, scholars, poor people, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, teachers, prophets, doctors... They wrote different types of literature, such as history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. So the Bible is 100% the work of human authors. But it's also 100% inspired by God. How can that be? St. Paul's Cathedral in London was built by Sir Christopher Wren, the greatest English architect of his time. Construction started in 1675 when he was 43 years old and continued under his direction for 36 years. It was completed in 1711 when he was 79 years of age. Now, while Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, he didn't actually lay a single stone. There were many people involved, stonemasons, carpenters, labourers and artists. But Sir Christopher Wren was the inspiration behind it all. With the Bible, there are many different writers, but one architect, one inspiration behind it all, God himself. That doesn't mean that there are no difficulties. The Apostle Peter, talking about some of Paul's letters, says there are some things in them that I find really hard to understand. Of course, there are many difficulties in the Bible. Moral and historical difficulties and apparent contradictions. And if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament, you know that there are some shocking things that happened. And you might think, well, how can that be inspired by God? It's a bit like suffering and the love of God. At the heart of Christianity is the love of God. But then you look at the world and you see this massive amount of suffering and you think, how can you hold together the love of God and suffering in the world? It's not easy. And similarly, how can you hold together the inspiration of Scripture and the difficult stuff that we come across in the Bible? Some of these contradictions can be overcome by understanding the type of literature that you're reading and the context that it was written in. And Jesus is the key to interpreting what we read. Jesus is love. He's the supreme revelation of God. If we want to know what God is like, he is like Jesus. And what I've found is that the more you trust that the Bible is inspired by God, the more you understand. The primary way in which God communicates with us is through the Bible. It's his revelation. Sometimes people say, well, if there's a God, why doesn't he show himself? Why doesn't he reveal himself? The answer is, he has. 
First of all, God has revealed himself through creation. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's like when you go out on a mountain and you look out at the beauty of creation, the magnificence, the stunning scenes that you see. You say, wow, there's got to be a God. Or you look out at the sky at night and you see all the stars and you say, someone must have created all this. The very fact that we're here, the fact that there is something rather than nothing, points to a creator. The fine-tuning of the universe, surely only God could have done that. The fact that we're created with this longing for something more, a longing for God. So yes, God has revealed himself in creation, but supremely, God has revealed himself in a person, in Jesus. But how do we know about Jesus? The main way we know is through the Bible. The New Testament is obviously about Jesus. But the Old Testament also, once you begin to look at it through the lens of Jesus, you see that too is all about a person, the person of Jesus. So science is the exploration of the way in which God has revealed himself through creation. That's why science is so important. It's so amazing. It's so exciting. And theology is an exploration of how God has revealed himself in Jesus and in the Bible. So there should be no conflict between science and faith. There's a widespread impression in the public that science and God don't mix. And that's curious, because if you think of the rise of science in the 16th and 17th centuries, all its pioneers believed in God. In fact, they were Christian in some sense or other. You talk about Galileo, Kepler, Newton, and so on. Kepler famously said, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. So far from their belief in God hindering their science, it was the very motive that drove it. Because they believed in a creator, a rational spirit behind the universe, they thought that science was worth doing, and so they did it. So I'm not remotely embarrassed at saying I'm both a scientist and a Christian, because arguably Christianity gave me my subject. We study God's revelation both in the natural world and in Scripture with the minds that God has given us. And I believe there's no conflict ultimately between those two sides properly understood. It's clear from the Gospels that Jesus viewed the scripture in the Old Testament as inspired by God. For him, what the scripture said, God said. And this is a view held almost universally by the worldwide church through the ages, that the Bible is inspired. It's our authority on how to live. St. Paul says the Bible is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Bible is full of practical wisdom and principles for relationships, how to love and forgive others, and advice on healthy living, working, bringing up children, taking care of the elderly relatives and that kind of thing. It gives us boundaries and guidelines to help us get the most out of life. And you might think, well, that just sounds like a rule book. It'll take away all my freedom. But actually, we all need boundaries. Imagine if sports had no boundaries or guidelines. They'd be impossible to play and they'd be quite confusing to watch. 
Well, in a tricky green it is, Bill. Knoodles really got to get back on track here after bogeying the 14th. It looks like he's ready to make a shot. Oh, smart move. Another smart move by Knoodle. He's really rounded out his short game. Well, these two athletes are so evenly matched here. Jeffries jumps in right away, establishing control. Whoa! Hey, I thought we might see something like this. This team is known for these shrewd kind of tactics. If there were no boundaries or guidelines in life, then our lives would be utter chaos. God has given us guidelines for how to live, not because he hates us or wants us to be miserable, but because he loves us and he wants us to enjoy life to the full. True freedom actually comes from when we know that God is in control and that there are boundaries. Yeah, so we know that children who grow up without boundaries are insecure, they're unhappy. And it's the same with us. Actually, the boundaries are given out of love. God didn't say, you shall not murder because he wanted to ruin our fun. He didn't say, don't commit adultery because he's a spoil sport. He doesn't want people to get hurt. He loves you. Through the Bible, God has spoken. But also, through the Bible, God still speaks. The Bible has been described as a love letter from God. When you receive a letter from someone you love, you keep the letter. I've kept every single letter that my wife Piffa has ever written to me. Not because the letters are important, but because of the person who wrote it. Jesus said this, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And the Bible is a communication from the person we love. If you like, it's a love letter from God. And that's what makes it so exciting to read. Jesus makes this point that the purpose of the Bible is not just to study the Bible for itself, but the purpose of the Bible is to bring us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says the whole purpose of this book is to bring you into a relationship. And that relationship is what matters. I had a friend named Earl Smith. Everyone in his family was wealthy. Earl was so rich, he didn't need to work. And instead, he started taking drugs. He took such hard drugs that he ended up in hospital at the age of 30. Someone came to visit him and gave him a gift, a copy of the New Testament. Earl was thrilled because he realized that the pages of his new Bible were perfect for rolling joints. And he rolled his way through Matthew, Mark, Luke. And when he got to John's Gospel, he finally started reading. After reading John's Gospel, Earl came to faith in Jesus Christ. And his life was never the same again. It affected everything in him and everyone around him, including his psychologist, a beautiful doctor named Tommy. She couldn't understand it. I don't understand it, she said to Earl. I have everything, a great job, money, family, friends, and yet inside I feel totally empty. Meanwhile, your life is a complete mess, and you still have this extraordinary peace about you. So Earl told her all that he'd read in the Bible. He explained what it felt like to be loved by Jesus Christ. Earl led Tommy to know Jesus. 
then he married her. Earl and I trained together at Theological College. God is longing to communicate with us, to be in a relationship with us. At the end of John's Gospel it says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. So the best way to invest in this relationship and to hear from God and to know Jesus is through reading the Bible. It's easy to be overly ambitious. Like you'll say, I'm going to read a book of the Bible every day for an hour. Now that is ambitious. Or thinking of squeezing it in at the wrong time. So, for example, you could take 10 minutes in the morning, make some breakfast, and then read a few verses. And then you need to find a place where you won't be distracted. The most important thing you need is a plan. Decide what you're going to read. I suggest starting with one of the Gospels, the four books about Jesus' life in the New Testament. Or you could download a Bible reading plan, like the Bible in one year. There are many ways to read the Bible. You just need to find one that works for you. And just keep it very simple. Read a few verses, pray, and ask God to speak to you. And then think about what the verses mean to you. What do they say about God's character? What encouragement can you take from it? How does it guide you in life's choices? What might God be asking you to do differently? And how can you put it all into practice? And don't worry if you come across difficulties or bits that you don't really understand. I found it's a bit like a crossword puzzle. You start with a clue and sometimes you come across one that you can't really answer. But you don't stop. You move on to the next clue and maybe that's a bit easier and then you start to fill in a few of the clues and that gives you the letters that help you to understand the more difficult ones. And I found it's a bit like that with the Bible. I wrestle with all this stuff and the more I wrestle with it, the more I begin to understand other bits that I'm reading. And if you expect God to speak to you through the Bible, then he will. It's exciting to know God and to communicate with him in that way. Over the last 40 years that I've been a Christian, I've read the Bible practically every day. Not because I feel I have to, it's because I love it. It's like, why do I eat breakfast every day? Because I like it. To me, not reading the Bible, it's like skipping a meal. Because the Bible to me is spiritual food. And I, I want to encourage you to develop a regular pattern of reading the Bible each day and praying that God would speak to you. It's an amazing experience when he does. I think back, for example, to when my father died in 1981. My parents, when, when I became a Christian, they were, they were, neither of them were churchgoers and they were a bit worried about it. My mother eventually became a committed Christian, but my father really was always a bit... Um, cautious, I would say, about my faith, and never certainly gave any indication that he had a faith. And so when he died, I, of course, I missed him. It was, I was very shocked by his death. But, but for me, there was an added ingredient. I was concerned about whether he, he had a faith or not, whether he was a Christian. And about 10 days after he died... I was reading the Bible and I sensed God speaking to me through a verse. And it was in Romans 10, 13, which says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I sensed God saying to me through that verse, Your father did call on me and he was saved. And that was so reassuring. But at that moment... Pippa, my wife, came into the room and she said, I've just been reading a verse, which I think is for your father. It's from Acts 2.21. 
and it says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It was quite extraordinary because that verse only appears twice in the New Testament. She'd read it in one part, I read it in another. And then three days later, we went to this small group where we were studying the Bible and we happened to be studying Romans 10. Particularly, we were looking at verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So like I say, three times in three days, God seemed to have spoken to me through that same verse. But such was my lack of faith that the next morning as I was going to work, I was still worrying about that, that question. And as I got out of the underground, I looked up and there was, on the station there was this huge great billboard. And on it, it said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. I remember saying to a, a friend, telling him the story about what had happened. And he said to me, do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? Let me ask you a question. Do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? And if so, will you let him? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it breathes life to us. As we read it with your spirit, that you speak and you change and you mold. Father, may we be people of your word. The people who have never read it, Father, maybe online or in the room, we pray, Lord, that you would that you would give us some motivation to read it. And as we open Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that you would help us to understand what we're reading. For those of us that have walked with the Lord for some time, give us a greater passion for your word, God, that we may dig and find the treasure and the hidden stuff and we pull it out as we go deeper with you. Father, transform us, we pray. Renew our lives. We thank you for your word that does that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for those online. We bless you. Thank you for being part of it. It's a privilege having you. We're going to say goodbye to you now. See you guys again next week. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support, and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.